Well, good morning. Welcome. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. We're really glad that you're here. Thank God has something special for us all today. I uh, thank the uh, praise team for leading us in worship at this point. I want to thank folks that decorated. Looks great. Doesn't it look great? And thank you very much for the time you put in. And how was your Thanksgiving? Good, good. How many of you actually had somebody that you had shared your meal with that was not family? Put your hand up. Hey, a lot of you. Good, good, good. Uh, we had Wally. Most of you know Wally. And uh, he was part of our Thanksgiving. So that's neat to share. All right. Um, if you're new or if you've been here for a while, uh, we do teachings in series, meaning we talk about the same topic for three, four, five, six weeks. And this series we're in now is right in the eye. And today's topic, I think, is really interesting. Uh, nobody said stupid. All right. And that'll make a little more sense in a few minutes. Um, <clears throat> I do want to start off with a question, and here's the question we're going to start off this morning. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? Now, some of you are sitting there, oh, that's a terrible question, why would the pastor start with that one? It's actually a, a, a great question, but an uncomfortable question, right? What do you do? When your body wants what your heart knows is wrong. Now with heart, we talk about sometimes mind, talk about conscience. So that makes more sense to you. Your body wants what your conscience knows is wrong. Now, all of us probably can think back to when we were younger, teen years, or young adults. Some of you are still teens, I understand. Or later on in life, maybe we can think back to last week. When uh, we dealt with this question and maybe answered it wrong, we actually did what our conscience told us not to do, or we didn't do what our conscience told us to do. Anyway, and it, how you answer that question determines in a large part the direction of your life, right? We can look back in our past and decisions we had made, and then you deal with the consequences of those decisions. <clears throat> It might have been a financial decision, and so now you had to deal with uh, some debt you shouldn't have. Maybe it was a relationship de decision. Now you're in a relationship uh, you don't know how to get out of or you wish you could get out of. Um, <clears throat> talked about last week, maybe you wish you had unseen some things or unmet some things or unwrote some things, uh, but you can't undo that, can you? So this is a really important question. And as we deal with the story today, we're going to see how someone eat did this horribly wrong and had horrible consequences. And then I'm going to ask you the question again at the end of our time together. <clears throat> so in this series, we're actually looking at an Old Testament book called the book of Judges. And it happens, you know, after Moses and the Ten Commandments, if you've seen that movie, uh, gets, gets the law and then Joshua leads him into the promised land and then Joshua dies. And he kind of knows, we talked about, he kind of gave him this warning, kind of know what human nature is, and uh, if you're not careful, bad things are going to happen. And so for over 300 years, they had this period where uh, they had the Ten Commandments, they had no earthly king, God was supposed to be their king, but you know, God's invisible, and so consequently they go through this cycle that all of us have experienced, I'm sure, where they know it's right and they do wrong, they disobey and depending on how severe that is and how long it goes on, eventually it always ends 
badly. It always ends in disaster. And we looked at last week how at one period they were eight years they were uh, ruled by uh, another uh, group of people. And just like you and I, when we get in trouble, what do we do? And if you're not a Jesus follower or whatever, even if you're not, often when we get in trouble, we cry out, God help, right? And we also usually make a promise. If you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. And that lasts, what, about a week or two, right? And then we think next time will be different. And so that's what they would do. And God is so gracious and so merciful that every time we ask for help, God helps us. He might not remove the consequences, but he'll help us and he brings deliverance. And he did that for the Israelites over these 300 years. <clears throat> and then we started this series at the end of the book of Judges with a verse that kind of summarizes up the 300 years. And it's this. In those days, Israel had no king. We've mentioned that. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So I can't see God, so I'm going to do what I want to do, what I think is right, what's going to make me happy. And so instead of looking up, looking to God for direction, they looked around. And so they had their religion, but the other peoples had other religions. And the other religions had some things that, hey, I kind of like that. I think I'll do a little bit of that, and I'll do a little bit of this, and I won't do a little bit of what I'm supposed to do. So in this period, there were 12 judges and, uh, that we know of, and we know by name. And um, these are the two most familiar, Gideon and Samson. Now, next week we're going to talk about Gideon. Give you a heads up. We're going to talk about being extraordinary instead of ordinary, even though this was a very ordinary guy, okay? So look forward to that one. Um, But then, even if you're not a church person, most people know Samson, right? And you usually have an image of this guy with bulging muscles, uh, mostly probably because of the movies. Now, Samson's an interesting character for lots of reasons, and this is a fascinating story uh, for a lot of the wrong reasons, but he's like a microcosm or the example of all the Israelites. Um, He looked around instead of looking up, and he got into trouble uh, just like they did and like we do. Now, God chose Samson to be a a judge. He had something very special for him to do. He had a special plan for his life, just like he does for every one of us. And he was supposed to reflect, reflect or reflect back to God the notoriety or the attention he got, because he got a lot of attention. Um, And he was known for being very strong, physically strong, and God's intention for him was to say, hey, you know, the reason I'm strong is because you know, the one true God, Yahweh, the God I serve, made me strong. And why our, why our crops are growing and yours aren't and why we're successful and you're not is because of our worshiping the true, true God. That was what Samson's true purpose was to be. But Samson got way out of those guardrails we talked about a couple of years ago in a series. He got way out of the uh, God's limitations for him and constantly got into big trouble. Now, Samson's big issue was Philistine women. I don't think we've got any children here. I warned you folks last week, this was going to get a little um, spicy. We're going to talk about human sexuality a little bit, which is important that we do in church. 
because uh, everybody else does. And uh, so that was his Achilles heel, or Samson heel. Uh, that was his weakness. Not, not Jewish women, not Israelite women, but Philistine women. Now, Philistines were their enemies. They were their bordering nation, and they were their enemies. And that was his difficulty. Now, let's talk about Samson's birth a little bit. It was uh, miraculous. Uh, like other stories in the Bible, his parents couldn't have a child, and eventually God came to him, or an angel came to him and said, hey, you're going to have a child. And guess what? It's going to be a boy. It almost always seems to be a boy, right? And uh, he's going to be special, and my hand's going to be upon him. Now, uh, um, they, what's the word I want? <laughs> Gay, or put uh, Samson into a, a Nazarite vow. Now, what did that mean? Well, it meant that three things. One, that you couldn't drink wine or grape juice, just in case the grape juice started turning into wine. No alcohol. Secondly, you couldn't touch anything dead. Now, as we're going to find from the story, Samson completely obliterates his vows. But uh, third thing was you can cut your hair. Cut your hair. Now, <clears throat> normally, a person would make this decision for themselves as an adult, young adult or adult. And usually, you made this for 30 days or 90 days for a period of, you know, uh, kind of um, renewal. Uh, reconnecting with God or whatever. And at the most, it would be a year. So you would do it for yourself. In Samson's case, his parents did it to him. And it wasn't just for 30 days or 90 days or a year. It was, for, it was supposed to be for his lifetime. And just like many of us, as a, as a young adult, he rebelled against his parents as well as God's wishes. So when we see in the story, Samson is, as a young man, is a border guard between Israel and the Philistines, uh, you know, between them and their enemies. Now, <clears throat> let me just say something about these bulging muscles. If somebody with bulging muscles does some great physical feat, we don't sit there and say, wow, I don't know how you did that, do we? We know how you did it because you've got bulging muscles. So, this, you can laugh, but I think Samson looked a little bit like me. All right? Because if I did something very powerful, you would say, wow, right? How did the pastor do that? So again, we, of course, we don't know. But for some reason, when he did something uh, miraculous uh, from strength, people went, wow, how did he do that? And he was supposed to say, that's because the Spirit of God did this through me. So anyway, he's this border guard, and we said his, his weakness is Philistine women. So what he would do is at night, because it's a little easier to sneak into the foreign country at night, he would sneak over into Philistine towns and hook up with Philistine women. And so we're going to pick the story up there. Uh, the first time this happens, or the first time it's recorded that it happened, in Judges chapter 14. So one day when Samson was in Timnah, that was in the Philistine area, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Now that's where all the trouble starts, right? It starts with the eyes, and it certainly did with, did with him. And so, caught his eye. So what does he decide to do? Well, he went back home. He said to his father and mother, I have seen, again, I've seen her. She's captivated me. Philistine woman, now get her 
for me as my wife. Now, this is a little awkward. Again, this is the enemy. All right? And uh, so as a parent, some of you are parents, if you're, one of your children come to you and say this, what is your response going to be? Uh, just like them, you're going to say, well, um, they objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe? Now, you know, there's 12 tribes, and so he, had, he was a, one of the 12 tribes, or even among all the 12 tribes that you could marry. There's thousands of women out there to pick from. Why are you picking this foreigner? All right. Why must you go to the pagan Philistine to find a wife? You are special, Samson. So God has got something special for you, and we're sure it's not her. And now this isn't a a racist thing at all. Um, It is a, a religious thing, because not only does this woman bring her nationality with her, she brings her religion with her. She brings her gods with her. And so God, over and over again, warned the Israelites about intermarriage because of, of, the, of the, the problem of, of, of foreign gods. And even Solomon, later on, supposed to be the most smartest guy in the world, he fell, fell into this trap, right? He had foreign wives, and he began to eventually worship their gods. So parents are freaking out, saying, no, 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 please don't do this. Of course, what does Samson do? Exactly what his parents doesn't want him to do. It's like you and I have done in some point in our life. So Samson said to his father, get her for me, she's the right one for me. Now this phrase, right one for me, is almost the identical phrase right there at the end of the book of Judges where it says, everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And that's exactly what Samson's doing, right? His parents warned him, God warned him, but this is what he wanted to do. So, they have a wedding. Evidently, his family goes down into this Philistine town. They have the wedding at the, at the lady's place. And if you read the story, and hopefully you can have the Bible. If you don't, we'll give you one. You can read this story. He embarrasses all the Philistines. <laughs> all right. And so their pushback is they take the, his, his wife away from him and gives her to a, a, another man and runs Samson off. And eventually, they, they execute this lady, that Samson had his eye on. And then if you read the story a little bit more, uh, Samson keeps sneaking over into the Philistine villages, and at one point he has this, really, it's really risky, but he has this one-night stand, and, and he almost gets captured, and he has to do this uh, miraculous feat to get, to get uh, safe. And then, of course, if you hear the word Samson, what other name comes to mind? Delilah, of course, all right? And if you know this story, and we're going to tell you if you happen to read some of it, um, when you think of Samson the Delilah, what I think of is how can he be so stupid, right? Now, guys, we know the answer, right? We know the answer. Because sexuality is a very powerful thing and you women don't understand how powerful uh, you can be. And unfortunately, you're stuck with us, okay? Now, I'm going to try and make a little fun of this, it's very, but this is very serious. Guys are pretty simple. 
And ladies, if you know us pretty w- very well, you know, you know this to be the case. We basically need three things. We need food, all right? And that's why, um, you know, if you ladies are good in the kitchen, that's a, that's a plus. Secondly, we need to have sex, all right? That's a, that's a given. Uh, that's what this story was driven by. And thirdly, we need an occasional pat on the head. Well, you know, good job, good job. You do a touchdown or you, or you hit the home run or, hey, you got a raise at work, got a promotion at work, you know, keep on keeping on uh, bringing the money home. All right? That's guys. Now, if I'm going to pick on guys, I've got to pick on ladies a little bit too, right? All right, ladies. If we are stupid, you are naive. I don't understand how for thousands and thousands of years you keep falling for the same Lines from us guys. Oh, I love you. Why don't you have sex with me? Well, of course we're going to say that. All right? Does that mean, you know, I understand guys say that and girls give sex hoping they get the love. But God didn't design it to work that way. and It doesn't work very well that way, does it? And I deal with this sometimes in counseling. Ladies will say, well, I just love him. And I... If anybody says this to you, a friend, your kids, whatever, here's the thing you need to ask them. What do you love about them? And if all they can give you back is, oh, they're so cute, or they got a great body, you need to make sure they understand that it doesn't stay that way. Right? We get all get old and, you know, <laughs> that happens to all of us. All right? So, what do you love about them? Now, if there's nothing great they can tell you about him, you need to make sure they understand they're better without him. All right? Now, again, I understand emotions get involved in here, and like I say, I deal with this in counseling, and I see the young couples with the glassy eyes, and they're not listening to the word I say. But this is so true. And another issue is... If they can't afford you, let me read it. If you can't afford to marry you, they can't afford you. And aren't you worth affording? Aren't you ladies? Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's not an issue of commitment. Commitment's easy. Keeping the commitment is what matters. And hopefully this won't offend you ladies, but one last thing before we move on. God designed your bodies as a dessert, not the appetizer. And if you serve it up as the appetizer, often the guy won't stand it, stay around for dessert. Now sex is a wonderful thing, sexuality in God's design. God created it, but it's very powerful, especially if misused. So, then we get to the part of the story which most, well, some of you might be familiar with. This slows down. We get lots of details of what's happening here. And this is the story again, Samson and Delilah. This is in Judges 16. So sometime later, Samson fell in love. Isn't that sweet? With a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. So, yeah, I got married once, and I had this one-night stand, or probably more than one one-night stand, but this is the one. Ever been there done that? This is the one? So, evidently, this was common knowledge in, with her 
in our village. So some of the people from the village come to her and say, <clears throat> see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. Because again, he was an enemy and he was very powerful. And so they wanted to trap him. They wanted to defeat him. Now, some of you are fishermen, I'm not. What is a lure? It's something that looks real and looks good, but actually isn't real and isn't good, right? So they say, All right, see if you can lure him into showing great strength and how we can overpower him. Tie him up and subdue him. Now, as we look at the story, we're going to see Samson's already subdued, right? Uh, by his eyes, by his passion. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So this is kind of hard to, to, to figure out the value here, but the, the experts say about $90,000. <laughs> okay? We're not talking chum change here. So Delilah will give you $90,000 if you turn Samson, and again, he's a foreigner, he's got a great bod maybe, but $90,000, right? So Delilah says, so Samson, tell me what makes you so strong that would take, tie you up securely. Now, I'm just a conjecture here, but I don't think this was happening over dinner. I think it was happening a little later in the evening. You get my drift. Ah, tell me. Ah. Now that we had so much fun, where does your strength lie? Now, if I'm Samson, I'm thinking, okay, I'm a little suspicious here, right? I should have a clue. Unfortunately, he didn't have a clue. But guys, let's be honest. We've been there, done that, haven't we? Haven't we all done stupid things? Maybe not sex, necessarily sexual things, but stupid things for a woman. All right. I confess, you guys can too. All right. Been there, done that. So he replied, Oh, if you tie me up with seven new bowstrings that may not been dried, I'll become as weak as anyone else. Now, again, if you're Samson, do you want to be like Everybody else? We talked about this in this series also. In fact, all of you are uniquely made by God. Why would you want to be like anybody or everybody else? So, he tells, Sam tells Delilah this, and so the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings. He tied Samson up, probably got him drunk. He's asleep, tied him up. Now here the story gets a little weird. She had hidden some men in the house while this was all going on. And she cries out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And of course, what does Samson do? He just snaps the bowstring. Because that wasn't the secret, right? As, when it, as string burn, uh, as burned up in fire, the secret of strength was not discovered. So, now Delilah's thinking, ah, didn't tell me the truth, right? So afterwards, Delilah says to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. I could imagine her the way she said it. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. Of course, they have a great relationship, right? She's going to sell him for $90,000 and he's lying to her <laughs> about everything. And so then he gives another story about, oh, it just takes new ropes, tie me up with new ropes, and I'll be as weak as anybody else. And 
calls the guys in, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and he breaks the ropes and defeats the Philistines. And so we go back to the cycle. She says again, you've been making fun of me, telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. Now, again, if you're Samson, you, gave a, you lied twice, but you thought, she thought you were telling you the truth. And as soon as you did, she tried to tie you up. Try to get you, we, you know, take care of your strength. Get the Philistines to feed you. Where is your common sense? The guys again, and capped, capped, caught up in that, that passion, sometimes we lose our common sense. So then he replies a third time. Oh, okay, just you need to put my seven braids in my hair and a, of course, it's really long hair and the loom and tighten the loom and I'll become as weak as anybody else. And he falls asleep, gets drunk, falls asleep. She does that, calls Philistines upon you. He pulls himself out, defeats the Philistines again. Three times this has happened. So the Delilah starts to change her methodology a little bit. So Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you? How can you tell me I love you and not lie to me and not tell me the truth? When you don't share your secrets with me. You made fun of me three times now. You still haven't told me what makes you so strong. Now ladies, maybe you do, maybe you don't. You don't realize what power you have. So, what's her next strategy? She torments, and ladies, don't get mad at me. I'm just reading the Bible here. She tormented him with her nagging day after day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared her secret. Now, this was fascinating to me. What sex couldn't do, ladies, <laughs> nagging did. <laughs> That's the way the story reads. So, what was the secret? My hair has never been cut. I'm a Nazarene. Nazarite. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. So he goes on. My head was shaved. My strength would leave me and I would become as, again, as weak as anyone else. So, <laughs> gets him drunk, falls asleep, cuts his hair, gets calls in the Philistines, and of course, he thinks he's going to throw them off again, and his strength is leaving. The Spirit of God has left him. So they capture him and gouge out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound, with bronze chains, forced to grind grain in the prison, really to the end of his life. If you, if you read the story, at the end of his life, he does kill himself while he kills a lot of Philistines. So, when you read the story or hear the story as we've just gone through it, All you can think is, how could you be so stupid? And it goes back to what we talked about the struggle between or tension between the kingdom of covet, wanting what we see, and the kingdom of conscience. What our insides is telling us, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, insides is telling you right or wrong. And none of us know we have no idea what God wants to do in and through us. You don't. You don't know. 
And it doesn't matter what you've done, like Samson, if you've screwed your life up in the past. And I know your natural reaction is, I'm not, there's nothing special about me. You know, I, my parents, you know, I wasn't a miraculous birth. In fact, you might not even know one of your parents. You may have been adopted. So I just want to fast forward 1,300 years to a guy named Paul. And he was writing to Gentiles, like most of us, people that aren't Jewish uh, background, religion. And he's going to talk about how important not only our sexuality, but our whole body is. And just, it's just two verses, and we'll, be, we'll wrap this up and be finished. Don't you realize, and of course, we don't. They don't, and we, we didn't, and we don't. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? God himself dwells in here, folks, if you're a Jesus follower. He lives in you and is given to you by God. It's a gift of God. We wouldn't do some of the things we do. Or we wouldn't do some of the things we don't do. We wouldn't eat some of the things we eat. We wouldn't lay around sometimes when we should be active. We shouldn't obviously look at some things we look at our eyes. We certainly shouldn't get involved uh, physically uh, outside of marriage. He goes on. You don't belong to yourself. Oh yeah, I do. It's my body. I get to choose what I want to do. No, no, no. Not if you're a Jesus follower. Even if you're not. We talked about this too. Everybody is a slave to someone or something. Samson was a slave to Delilah, wasn't he? And his passions. You don't belong to yourself. Now, if you're Jesus followers, even more important. You are bought with a price, so you must honor God with your body. The greatest, highest price was paid for you and me. God sacrifices only son. I have three sons and a daughter. I can't imagine sacrificing any of them for any reason. But God sacrifices only son so you and I can have a relationship with him. So we're going to talk about this in a week or two. The value of something is determined about the price it's paid for, right? And so you and I have the most, the highest value in the universe. Because God didn't die for animals. He didn't die for a planet. He died for you. So he said, come on, come on. You, you must honor God with your body. And again, you and I have no idea what God wants to do in and through you. We don't. So let me ask you, have you surrendered your body to God? Have you done that? And our struggle is, like we talked about, well, we're not sure if God wants what's good for me or he's trying to keep something good from me, right? So that's why in any of these areas, financial, dietary, exercise, sexuality, any of these areas we would go over to the kingdom of covet rather than the kingdom of conscience. We're not quite sure if God wants what's good for us. Now, there's just something special about sexual sin. All of our other sins, we can kind of later on laugh about it, pretty much. Maybe not murder, but most of them. Can't laugh about sexual sin, can you? There's just no way you can, you can do that. 
So what would you expect God, who loved you and sent his son to die for you, to say? Let's get back to our question and we'll be finished. What do you do when your body wants what your heart or your conscience knows is wrong? It's interesting when the song praise team did was from the inside out. So are you going to let your life be ruled from the inside out? From your God conscience or from the outside in, the kingdom of covet? So instead of doing what's right in our own eyes, why don't we do what we suspect is right in our own hearts? Have you yielded your heart, your conscience, your mind to Almighty God? It's not going to be a tension or all your and my life. But freedom is really submitting rather than doing what we think is right in our own eyes. We're going to talk about Gideon and being extraordinary next week. Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray and we'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you for this crazy story of Samson. As crazy as it seems, we can see a little bit of Samson in all of us. And God, some of us may have stepped across the lines in similar ways. And we thank you that there's always a chance to start over, begin again, to do it right the next time. And we thank you that you forgive us for being stupid (laughs) and doing stupid things. God, I pray for everyone here. that they'd know what to do with this, that they would do something with this, rather than say, hey, that was interesting, Pastor, laughed a little bit, and go on with their lives. And we pray for anybody that's not a Jesus follower, you could step across the line and say, hey, I, I, I think that's, there is greater freedom in following God and following my conscience and just chasing after whatever my eyes would see. And we thank you, Jesus, that you loved us enough to die for us. In your name we pray, amen.